Welcome to the Plexus Presidential Podcast Series. We're excited to have Dr. Rochelle Keck, President of Grandview University, as our guest. I'd love to learn about your journey and, you know, the mentors that helped shape your journey. Well, my journey probably is a little different than the traditional college president who most likely came up through the academic pathway and had um, academic mentors throughout their career. Uh, I actually spent the first 20 years of my career in um, law, practicing law. And so I didn't necessarily have anyone along the way that was ever telling me you should be a college president because I was practicing law. Uh, But in about 15, 16 years ago, I was on the board for my undergraduate institution on their board of trustees, and they had a presidential transition. I was asked to sit on the search committee as both uh, an alum and a board member, um, and so sat on that committee. And throughout that process, there were a couple of strong candidates who had uh, juris doctorates like I did at the time, and, and it really sparked an idea in me that perhaps this is something that I could do uh, someday. And, and honestly, I thought, huh, I think I would be pretty good at this job. And I think I would like this job. And so then I really started to do some qualitative research into the world of higher ed. And uh, what would it look like for me to get into that role? Should I choose to do that? And so along the way, people shared with me based on my background my skill sets and my uh, character or my personality and, and characteristics that fundraising would be a good field for me to enter into the higher education world. And so that's what I did about uh, eight years ago. So you're one of, of nine children, right? I am. Okay. And you're first generation. I am. I am. I do have to tell you, I'm number six in age, but um, I'm number one in awesome. <laughs> but if you ask my mom, she'll say, oh, honey, all nine of you are awesome. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. But now you were first generation. So what, what led you down that path to get your degree? I actually had uh, many, many people in my educational journey identify that I was, um, you know, academically gifted, academically inclined. And so that was just always, um, um, Touted for me that you absolutely need to go to college. This is this is an area where you excel. I was a straight A student, in talented and gifted, and all of that. So I really credit my educators that, particularly in my K twelve background, that just saw something in me and then um, supported and encouraged that in me. And so I remember my freshman year. I'm sorry, my senior year of high school when I filled out the FAFSA because my parents did not go to college. And so I worked with my uh, guidance counselor at school. And I remember um, we had a combined family income of around $26,000. And I don't know why I thought I could go to college and and afford that and do it. But I I guess I didn't know what I didn't know and and, uh, took the plunge and, and ended up being able to make it happen. Well, and so this this may ring a bell when I talk about um, sense making and rain making. Can <laughs> <Yes>. you talk? A- <laughs> and maybe painstaking. 
I, maybe that maybe uh, I should yes. throw that in too. Yes. Um, can you talk to me about that experience? And you had mentioned fundraising. You know, you've had a number of successful fundraising efforts uh, in a number of, of different institutions. Can you talk to me about that experience, your dissertation, why that was so important to you? So a couple of questions here. I don't throw a lot at you, but why that's so important to you and what makes a successful fundraiser? Mm. I'm, I'm kind of laughing because I'm, I'm actually heading to Dallas later this week and giving a presentation on uh, presidential fundraising. So I, I know exactly you were referring to the title of my dissertation, <laughs> which was, of course, a labor of love. Um, and, and I do just want to share an aside. So part of my story and my dissertation story is that um, the, I, I successfully defended my dissertation in the middle of the pandemic while leading a university uh, through a pandemic. And uh, in, in a way, the pandemic was a gift for me because um, everything was canceled. And so as a college president, your time is very, very um, caught up in all things students and all things institutional and, you know, fundraising and charity events and donor dinners and, and all of the things. And so when the pandemic hit, everything was canceled. And I literally, from start to finish on the dissertation itself, including the um, uh, interviewing of my participants, I did a qualitative uh, research design, I took 61 days. And that's because I compressed it all into that time when I was uh, sitting alone in my house with nothing to do except uh, worry about the future. So I decided to uh, convert it to a finished dissertation. So um, the, the importance of fundraising as a president and particularly as a president at a private uh, institution, uh, I, don't, I don't think right now it's probably number one or number two on the list for all college presidents at these types of institutions. Um, it, some of the things that I learned throughout my dissertation research is that for many presidents, it's actually a calling uh, to be a president. And so that really shapes and shifts your mindset. Um, if, you're, if you're in it for the job, you're probably going to get burnt out and it probably won't be fulfilling for you. But if, if you're called to the work and you find joy in the work, it's much easier to make it through those difficult and trying days, which there will be many. I mean, you're running, as a college president, you're running a very complex organization that um, involves uh, facilities and law and compliance and risk and students and personalities. And in many respects, those students are still essentially children learning how to be adults um, out on their own for the first time. And, and we're expected to safely uh, get them through those transition years while also crafting them into um, scholars and athletes and uh, engaged citizens. So, you know, no big deal. Just, you know, part <laughs> of the job. <laughs> well, so now bef before you were director of plan giving at University of Iowa, you know, and you had spent 15, 16 plus years uh, in, in the law and, you know, in, in a professional law practice. Um, did you, did you plan, did you expect to be a president at an institution 
Uh, I did. I did not. Not until I went through that uh, presidential search process when I was on the board. The idea was sparked, but it took about another um, seven years for me to make that a reality. By first of all jumping into higher ed in 2014, and then I actually um, earned my first college presidency in under four years. Okay. So I have to ask a question. So now you were involved, you know, going back to your legal profession, you were involved with farm philanthropy, farm cases. Is, is that, is that right? That is accurate. Yes. Okay. So, so what happens when there is a farmer who turns his or her farm into a baseball field? <laughs> for a college? <laughs> or for the field of dreams? Oh, well, there's, yes, that's a whole nother conversation that involves Hollywood and the MLB and uh, <laughs> uh, a lot, lots of different factors. But yeah, uh, agricultural um, farm philanthropy or agricultural philanthropy is absolutely a thing, particularly here in the Midwest, uh, whether you're convincing donors to gift a farmland or commodities or livestock or any of the things, um, it's absolutely a thing here. Got it. Okay. Okay. So let's talk a little bit now about Grandview, right? The competition is very, very saturated. The market's very saturated. There's over 60 institutions to your four year in Iowa alone. Mm -hmm. So, so how does Grandview compete? Um, in many, in many different ways, we're quite fortunate to be located here in Des Moines in the, the capital of Iowa um, arguably, we're on our way to becoming the internship capital of the United States. Um, and we already have a very strong internship program here at Grandview and also in the city of Des Moines. Uh, we, as an institution, will often in the summer provide um, internship housing for interns who are working at other organizations, not necessarily students here at Grandview. And it's really a way for us to diversify our revenue in the summertime. Um, but some other things that set us apart um, outside of just our urban setting, right in the heart of everything Iowa, we um, already have a very robust uh, student-athlete experience. Um, we have a robust student um, undergraduate research experience, as well as that internship and experiential learning. And we're embarking on um, expanding that. We're, because I'm new in my presidency, we're also starting a strategic plan. And some elements of that will be this cooperative learning um, earning while you learn, which is very easy to do in an, in a location such as Des Moines. Uh, we have strong partnerships with um, business uh, community members and leaders throughout, not only throughout Des Moines, but also throughout the state. And then um, two other things that we're adding um, as part of the strategic plan are um, a change fluency and also global fluency. And here's what I mean by that. Um, Today's high school graduates, so there's research that came out right before the pandemic, where today's high school graduates will, on average, um, experience over 17 different careers in over five different industries throughout their professional lifetimes. Many of those jobs have not even been invented. Hmm. And so we are really having to shift from this occupa occupational preparedness, this occupational identity, to 
uh, being change fluencers, being able to adapt to change, being able to learn for the rest of your life. And that includes not only a shift in mindset, so you don't get to come here, study for four years, you're done, go out, and that's it. I mean, you, you need to have this mindset that I'm going to be learning for the rest of my life, and that's a good thing. And that's a joyful thing. And that's something that I can look forward to. So how do you do that? How do you teach that, right? And then another piece of that is um, as the world just continues to get smaller and smaller and and borders are just um, uh, going away, we have this global world that we live in. And so we need to be sure that we prepare our students to be fluent out in the world and also to be fluent when the world comes to them. And so those are two things that we're really being intentional about uh, to set ourselves apart from the competition. And so how, how have you been able to engage the local community and local businesses today? Well, fortunately, um, since I'm in the beginning of my presidency, I have many opportunities right now to, I'm, I'm basically meeting everyone, right? And so um, in, in those conversations, I have intentional questions that I'm asking, how can we help you? What do you need from us? And for the first time in, at least since I've been in charge of an institution, we're kind of in a position as a university that businesses and industry want to partner up with us as opposed to just always in the other direction, because we have the talent. We have those um, college graduates who are who are leaving upon graduation and seeking new employment and employers are going, oh my gosh, that they're right there for us to tap into. And so we're encouraging those business leaders to get to know our students while they're still students. It's really that opportunity to date before you marry, so to speak. And so you can get to know our students and our students can get to know you because right now students are the ones who are in the driver's seat because we are at such a tight unemployment, we are in such a tight labor market. And so we're encouraging employers to um, get to know our students so that you can tap into those resources before they graduate. And so you recently did a speaking engagement, you talked about the role of a college president in today's climate. So can you can you compare and contrast the time you were president Briar Cliff and today at Grandview, how has the role of a college president changed? So some of that is the fundraising piece uh, because fundraising is changing. You know, it used to be that as fundraisers, we were raising money for buildings. We were raising money for maybe endowed professorships or to start a new program. And right now in the climate right now, it's really about affordability. Um, It's about leveling that playing field and providing access to all students, uh, regardless of their background, regardless of their economic status. And then also, it's about student success and making sure that students do, in fact, graduate and that they we can keep um, student debt down as much as possible. And then a lot of it is about equity and um, making sure that we provide a, a safe space for students to grow and to equitably learn um, along with their counterparts. And, and that's really what donors care about right now. So that's on the fundraising side. And then, of course, um, on the leadership side, it's, it's the competition has changed. It used to be that the competition was the 
the college across town or the college in the town over. And now the competition is online. The competition is all those online colleges. The competition is LinkedIn and LinkedIn Learning and Linda and Credly and all of these micro-credentialing companies. And and in many respects, the competition is um, the kind of the American and global sentiment right now about the value of a higher education degree. And I've I've spoken recently at a couple of summits about the future and the future world of work. And uh, I worry that right now we're in such a state of almost panic regarding labor and the shortage of labor and the shortage of skilled labor that I think in in the midst of trying to meet and um, fulfill all of those demands are a little bit short-sighted. And we're missing the long game. And the long game is, what is the value of having an educated citizenry? Uh, What is the value of having a college degree? And what does that teach you besides just the skills you need in the next five minutes uh, for the job that needs to be filled in the next five minutes? Um, And so part of that is changing the narrative around why we as higher education institutions exist and what is our role in the future, because it's certainly not what it's been in the past and not even what it was five years ago when I started. Well, how many first-generation students do you have? So at, um, at Grandview, about 60, 60 to 70% of our students are first-gen. See, and I, I imagine, I mean, what, I'd imagine the influence that you have as the president on those students, you know, that, that maybe, you know, didn't have that example of someone who did complete college, who could help fill out the FAFSA when they were going to college. And then the ability to, you know, help these students persist and graduate, you know, what type of conversations and tools do you have to make sure that, you know, students don't just start, but they actually complete, you know, complete their degrees, get a job and can pay off any debt. Mm -hmm. Um, I had, those exact experiences. Now, granted, it was a couple of decades ago. um, But like I shared, I don't know why I thought I could go to college, because if you looked at the numbers, it didn't make sense for me to go to college. But I did. I had that faith in myself. I had that faith in the system. And I just had faith that it would all work out. I also worked all the time. Um, not only in the classroom and in the library, but also um, to earn money for college. And so I can really share with students the struggles that I had, uh, both financially and also the time management. I mean, again, I worked all the time. I, you know, you have to sacrifice sleep, you have to sacrifice fun, um, but it's an investment in your future. And uh, education has absolutely changed the trajectory of my life and the life of my family, uh, and in many respects, the life of my family that I grew up with, my parents and my siblings, and I love being a role model for my nieces and nephews, and also for our students. Well, let's talk a little bit about um, relationships. So relationships, it's such a cliched word, but it means so much. You know, so that ability to have a relationship with students, especially on a private campus that has roughly 1,800 students versus a public flagship institution that may have 40,000 plus students. Can you talk about what that means to be able to really get to know, you know, employees, faculty, students, 
And, you know, being able to sit down over lunch or dinner with students, you know, versus a bigger campus, right? There's pros and cons to each, I'm sure. But can you talk about the differences, uh, uh, you know, between those two types of schools? Absolutely. I've, I've worked at both types and also been a student at both types. And uh, the value of being at a place like Grandview is just as you described, uh, Brad, we're able to, I know students, not everyone yet, because I'm only in the fifth month, but, you know, we know students by name. Um, we know their stories. Uh, we can tell their stories. In fact, um, this was kind of fun on Saturday. We had our uh, conference championship cross country meet. And of course, I, I choose the coldest, rainiest, um, windiest day to finally make it to a cross-country meet because that's one of the challenges as a president is you cannot be everywhere all the time, um, but was able to make it to cross-country. And the young woman who won the uh, uh, women's division for cross-country is actually a uh, young woman who went to prom with our youngest son. <laughs> back oh, <wow>. in the day <laughs> and uh, didn't, of course she chose to come here and, and be a student here before I was president here. Um, but was absolutely a blast to see Morgan cross the finish line and uh, win that conference championship. And then of course, talk about what's next uh, in terms of uh, the potential for nationals. So in, it's really about relationships, but it's also about knowing their stories and being invested in their stories, and then the absolute joy in seeing them cross the stage uh, to get that diploma, and then hopefully uh, carry on as an alum and remain engaged with the institution in the years to come. Well, so, and in, in your institution's been around since 1896. Um, you know, one of the things that, that I see, I find amazing when I interview presidents that work at smaller private faith-based institutions that have such a long history. You know, you, you hear a lot about the enrollment cliff and what that means for a lot of private schools and, and, and you know, uh, smaller schools and just the concern over sustainability. But I look at that also as these institutions have been around and have been able to be so resilient and they've been through so much, you know, not just one cliff, but several cliffs. They've been through wars and a lot more. So can you talk a little bit about just the resiliency of the institution. I think it's, it's resiliency, it's agility, it's the ability to be nimble and responsive as opposed to, you know, it's, it's like turning a speedboat instead of turning the Titanic, um, you know, because uh, those big flagship institutions, again, I've, I've worked at one, um, they have some strengths as well. Uh, but they're also very large and, and lots of constituencies to work through in order to um, effectuate change. Whereas at a smaller institution like Grandview, number one, we're smaller, so there's not quite as many constituencies or things to take in mind uh, when making decisions. But also I think a lot of it is the, uh, the relationships and the connectedness of the people that work here because we know each other we care about each other. We're all in this together. Uh, we want this to work together as opposed to, ah, I'll just move on to the next um, employer. And so you had mentioned online so that the future of education and having on-campus residential students, which still makes up a, a majority of your students, correct? Yes. But as, as you look forward to the future, I, I guess how big can you have roughly 1,800 students today? Is that right? Correct. 
So how, how big can you get or do you want to get? Um, how, how big can we get really just depends on um, how scalable we can be in terms of technology and how, how big we want to get. Um, I, I'm going to hold off on answering that question until we get through the strategic planning process. Um, but I do know that we will absolutely be um, growing our um, graduate programs and our online presence and also our adult um, opportunities that are not necessarily in the degree-seeking space, or they may be um, an element of degree-seeking, but it might just be a stackable credential that a, a student can hold on to and then stack it um, if they decide to add to the skill set um, moving forward, which I really think is going to be the future of education anyway, um, unless, of course, it's that traditional a licensed professional pathway that has that set required uh, steps to go through. I really think we are going to see those stackable uh, credentials and and that skills portfolio uh, for students moving forward. So do you see in 10 years, are are students going to be earning a a four-year degree or is it going to be credentials? Is is it going to be a combination of all, you know, credentials, four-year degree graduate? What is that going to look like? Uh, to your point earlier, to be able to align with jobs that don't even exist today and they change frequently. I think it's a yes and. Um, I think you're going, you're still going to see having that degree. Number one, it just, it just shapes you as a human being. I think people forget about um, how much change our students go through during that four years, uh, not only as scholars, but also just as human beings. And it's an intangible quality that's hard to assess or put your finger on. But at the end of the day, you're still going to have that credential and that degree to set you apart from everyone else in the job market. Because you can you can go on and on about the skills you possess. But if you can't demonstrate those in a, uh, a way that's quick and easy for employers to spot, we're not going to be in this economic um, situation that we're in forever. Uh, so I think it's it's a yes and you're going to need the degree, but you're also going to need um, to have that mindset that you're going to need to learn for life. And um, it's probably going to be self-directed learning. And so you need to know how you learn best. You have to, uh, you'll have to figure out and we're, we're hoping to uh, teach that to our students, how to develop those personal strategic development plans, keep track of your learning, keep track of your skills, and then be able to convey to employers what it is that sets you apart. What are your points of difference? So you had mentioned athletics earlier. How important uh, are athletics to an institution? Um, very, very important, depending on the institution. Uh, for us, it's a combination of, of about three things. I think it's, a, it's an opportunity uh, for students who that, for, for whom it matters that they can continue that athletic experience that was very positive for them at the high school level. They can continue that, that at the collegiate level. Um, in reality, athletics is a it, it's a uh, bucket of resources that students can tap into to help pay for their college education. And many of our students see their collegiate athletic experience as their job, uh, in addition to uh, being a student 
And then um, it's also absolutely a, uh, a factor in the campus culture and the vibrancy and the energy and the, the championship um, culture that we have here at Grandview. So what has been, uh, obviously COVID was a, probably a big surprise and big change for a number of people, but what's been your biggest surprise as president? I think my biggest surprise, and I'm going to go back to when I first got into higher ed, having been in the world of law uh, for 20 years, and if you know much about lawyers, particularly private practice attorneys, our lives are measured in six or 10 minute increments. Uh, Every minute matters. Every minute translates into dollars, either for the firm or for your client. And so as attorneys, we are very cognizant of the value of time. And then you go, so six minute increments over here, right? And then you you go into the world of higher ed. And for the most part, pre-pandemic, the world was measured in academic years or maybe semesters, uh, but really academic years. And if you are going to institute or effectuate change, well, we got to wait till next semester or we got to wait until next year. Well, the pandemic really changed that, Um, but it's starting to creep back in. And so I just think we have to be uh, diligent about making sure that change needs to happen for the, the outcomes and the optimization or maximization of resources on campus as opposed to fitting change into the historical and traditional timelines of academia. So, um, One of your mantras is make every day a grand adventure. So can you talk to me about what what does that mean to you? Mm -hmm. So it's a a combination of action and attitude. Um, So the make is the action. It's up to you to make the day what the day is going to be. And the um, attitude is the grand adventure. It's fun. It's joy. It's a blessing. I am incredibly blessed to get to do this job every day. Um, I find joy in in all of it, regardless of the circumstances, because um, even when we're facing challenges or um, issues, it's it's fun to use your brain. It's fun to use your past experiences, and it's even fun to use your creativity and imagination to solve problems and to advance the institution or in life in general, right? right. Um, I just think it's, um, I, I just wake up every day feeling blessed and happy to come to work. Well, and so you're in your office right now, right? Yes. You mentioned that. So do you have any books or signs or pictures that you look at and there's a memory towards that? Uh, yes. I mean, obviously my screensaver over here on this extra monitor is my um family. Uh, I have something that I hold. Let me see. I got to do this upside down. Her intuition was her favorite superpower. So I put paper clips on that. that. Um, I have another sign here that someone gave to me, which I think uh, says it all. Um, College presidents are above all else peddlers of hope. Um, because, you know, (laughs) especially when you, when you're dealing, um, with students who for, for them earning a college degree again is life-changing. Um, that's what that, that's what kind of keeps you going, right. Is that hope that you can, um, 
get out of the the bonds of poverty, or you can help bring your family along um, into a different way of life. And that's, that's, that's a lot of fun. Absolutely. So now where do you see Grandview in 10 years? Well, um, again, we're, we're about to go on that strategic plan uh, journey, but some elements for me are, like I said, that, that change fluency, being able to, um, instill that in our students and having them be able to articulate the fact that they are uh, change fluencers when they get done, the global fluency piece, uh, the internship experiential learning and cooperative learning piece, um, and then um, just our students being able to, uh, in addition to that traditional uh, degree-seeking experience, to be able to add skills and credentials and competencies for the rest of their lives as they as they go through their professional and personal journeys. Now, do you are you able to te- do you have time to teach? <laughs> no. <laughs> although, although I will say formally, no, I do not teach. I I do have um I did when I was at Briarcliff, I did teach a leadership group called Helm, which stood for Higher Education Leadership Mastery. Um, and that was for um, both faculty and staff at Briarcliff. So I intend to do that eventually here at Grandview. Uh, but I, I will say that I teach every day, whether it's uh, through interacting with my leadership team or employees or students or even community members. I think we're all learning and teaching if we're paying attention. Absolutely. And now are you are you all settled in? Have you all, the family's all moved in? And yes. Yes, yeah, so we're, we moved in in the middle of June, and um, yeah, I, I think I have about four boxes to unpack, but let's be honest, they're probably not going to get unpacked at this point. <laughs> <laughs> so Dr. Rochelle Keck. Yes, perfect. Perfect. Well, that's great. Well, thank you so much, and hopefully we can do a part two in a year or two. Absolutely. Be fun to talk about progress. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for joining the Plexus Presidential Podcast Series. For more information on the series, please visit us at plexus.com forward slash solutions. Thank you.